everyone, welcome to the Paw Awareness Podcast, and thanks for joining me. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and also check us out at pawawareness.org and on Instagram at pawawareness underscore official. On Instagram, we are doing submissions for Pet of the Week, where you can submit your foster pet and we'll pick one winner every month and we'll give $200 to their choice of charity or foster. Thanks for watching and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, well, I have Mary Tan on with the Humane Society organization in Minnesota and I want you to go ahead and just introduce yourself to the viewers, little bit about yourself, how long have you been with the organization, and then talk about the organization itself. Yeah, so my name is Mary Tan, and I'm the Public Relations Manager. I've been with the Humane Society for about two years, since uh, Valentine's Day 2018, and it's always been my lifelong dream to mix animals with public relations, which is uh, one of my favorite things to do. So my job entails getting media coverage, doing interviews, you know, spreading the, the word about all the different programs and initiatives that we do at the Animal Humane Society, which is located in Golden Valley, which is right outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and I've, I was actually curious too, just for everyone's clarification, I volunteered at the Humane Society for a little less than a year, and it wasn't until I actually volunteered that I found out that humane societies, it's, and maybe you can clarify this, it's not one organization, right? Like every organization is independently ran. Is that correct? Correct. So the name of my group is Animal Humane Society, and um, it's a very generic name. So we get confused with a lot of different um, humane societies, but every humane society is independent. There's a Arizona Humane Society, there's a San Diego Humane Society, and we're all separate entities. And there's a lot of confusion because there's a national and international organization called Humane Society of the United States. And they are actually not an animal shelter, but they're more of a lobbying and public policy arm of animal welfare. And people kind of confuse us and think that we're all part of one another, but actually we are separate organizations. But however, in animal welfare, you do need to work with each other because the only way you can solve pet overpopulation is by groups coming together and working together. So we, for example, do work on projects with HSUS, as, as we call them, you know, uh, legislative bills here in Minnesota related to animal welfare and that sort of thing. But um, yeah, we are all separate. So even though you guys are separate, do you notice, is there an overlap there? Are there like common core values that, that are across all of them, or are they like completely night and day different, whereas oh, no. Arizona and Minnesota are completely different? Is it pretty much the same, or what are some I of those would similarities? Say, I would say all animal welfare organizations have a very similar mission, which is to help animals, to help homeless animals. I mean, that is the number one mission for every organization. Now, there might be some nuances between the two. So for example, you hear the terminology no-kill a lot, and no-kill is really a marketing term. If you talk to a lot of animal welfare marketing people, it's, it's a way to market your organization. So what it means to be no-kill is that you have a placement rate of over 90%. So at Animal Humane Society, we have a placement rate of about 93%. So we could call ourselves no kill, 
but we choose not to call ourselves no-kill precisely for the reason in every animal welfare organization there is euthanasia involved. It is not possible to save every animal, for example. If there is an animal that is very sick, just got hit by a car, something, you know, is in a traumatic situation where that animal is truly suffering, euthanasia is a viable option. You know, there's always a question of resources in animal welfare organizations. So, for example, the 25-year-old cat that comes in and needs $5,000 worth of veterinary care every month. Do you put your resources into that animal or do you use that same money to spay and neuter and get adopted 30 kittens? So there's always constant choices. There's no wrong or right. But at Animal Humane Society, we believe it's misleading to call ourselves no-kill. And that's why we don't call ourselves no-kill. And the other thing I wanted to talk about is you often hear animal shelters called kill shelters. That does nothing but demean and make people who work in municipal or open admission shelters, they already have a tough job with compassion fatigue. And what's interesting is that Animal Humane Society is an open admission shelter, as are most municipal or government-run shelters. Open admission means that we take in every single animal that comes our way. We don't say no to anybody. There are a lot of animal welfare organizations that specialize in one thing. So they're specializing, for example, only in golden retrievers or only in neonatal kittens, but we take all of them. And because of that, we, you know, it's, it's no secret that people say kill shelter all the time when that's not necessarily fair to our organization because we have to take in no matter what animal comes our way. We don't have the option of picking and choosing which animals we take in. I hope that makes sense. That does make sense. And what are some of the things that you guys have to do because you do accept every animal like what are some things that you i mean are there do you guys have more workers or like more space like I, yeah. I mean, what's the what does that look like so we are so lucky here in minnesota we are extremely well resourced compared to the rest of the country minnesota is also a very well educated community our average income and i may be off here but i would say More than half of Minnesotans have been to college. So there's a lot of education in this community. And so everybody spays and neuters their pets. People are very generous. And what we found here, so Animal Humane Society has roughly about a $24, $25 million budget. We have about 400 employees. We are a very large shelter. Some have said we're the third largest in the United States. We are definitely the largest in the upper Midwest. We take in more than 23,000 animals per year, and 93% of those have a live outcome. And one thing we do, we team up with other animal welfare organizations. So for an animal, for a cat or dog or rabbit, going into a shelter is a really scary thing. I mean, you go in there, you're in a home, You're surrendered by your owner, and suddenly you're surrounded by all these barking dogs. You don't know where you're at. You have veterinarians and vet techs poking you and everything. And some animals just cannot thrive in that, and they shut down. So what we do at the Humane Society is we work with roughly 100 different rescue partners in Minnesota, 
And our rescue partners who have a foster to adopt situation where they can, where these animals can live in a home while they're waiting to be adopted, that is ideal for that animal. So a lot of these animals, several hundred of these animals every year go to our rescue partners. And we could not be as successful as we are without these organizations. So in animal welfare, people need to understand you need all these different kinds of rescues. You need the open admission shelter. You need the individualized animal rescue people. You need people that really specialize. You know, there's there may be a rescue that takes just diabetic cats. And all of these organizations are needed. And when they work together, then we can make a serious dent in the pet overpopulation issue. And one thing that's really interesting about Minnesota is we are actually resuming our animal transport program actually right now. There's actually some dogs being um, brought to us through the ASPCA that are arriving from Oklahoma. If we didn't bring animals in from the South or the West, we would not have enough adoptable dogs. In fact, right here, it's absolutely crazy. There's hundreds and hundreds of people waiting and buying to get one puppy because there's such a shortage of dogs right now, especially with COVID. Everybody wants a pet. And that's what I wanted to ask you about was, I mean, I read a couple of articles, but it's not the same as like asking every individual organization, you know, I feel like you guys have your own spin on it. Like you mentioned, you know, your guys' problems are different than maybe someone in New York, like an organization in Massachusetts or whatever. So I guess that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, was how have you seen COVID impact the rescue community, dogs and cats as well. I have a cat as well. So I'm interested to see, you know, how have you guys seen that? You just mentioned that there's a waiting list for dogs. And I think that's fantastic. Like that's absolutely great. Yeah, absolutely. So our number one issue right now at at the Animal Humane Society is all the economic uncertainty because, you know, people are in an economic crisis and they have pets that need to be fed. And so one thing we have been working really hard to do is, is not only adopt out animals, but it's to keep people and pets together. And to do that, we need to provide resources. So one of the uh, projects we're working on is next month, we are opening our second low-cost veterinary clinic in a neighborhood that has a lot of challenges and needs and a high percentage of pet owners who are living in the poverty level. So at any of our low-cost veterinary clinics, you pay based on your income. So we are a fraction of the cost of a regular vet. And we also, at the same time, um, provide those same services to rescues at a deep discounted price. And this is all thanks to grants. You know, we, we PetSmart Charities uh, gave us $250,000 to help us open this clinic. Um, the Petco Foundation all of these different organizations are helping fund this so that we can help keep people and pets together. And we just had this amazing story last week. There was a senior dog named Daisy. She was a Labrador retriever, about 100 pounds, and she had this gigantic tumor sticking out from her gut area. And the owner came in and said, you know, I'm bringing her in to be euthanized because I just can't afford to remove this this tumor from her. And so our vet tech looked at it and said, you know what, we might be able to help you. So 
we took the dog to our low-cost veterinary clinic, and there wasn't anything wrong with her. She just, I mean, she was relatively healthy for her age. She just had this big tumor. And we were able to provide him the surgery so that Daisy could get the tumor removed. And it's a happy story. He didn't have to euthanize her. And he, once again, like the, the, this person didn't know about our low cost um, veterinary services and, and the ability to get surgeries at a fraction of the price that you would at a traditional vet. And this is really important for low income and challenged communities and people who are in unemployment right now. In fact, we just expanded our range of income for people to use our services. So it goes all the way, I believe, from like, from earning virtually nothing to almost 50,000, you can get reduced cost services based on your income. And people are so appreciative. And is that something that you guys offer only in your area or do all humane societies have that kind of uh, service and network that available to them? I would say every major city has them for sure. And there's more and more of them popping up. And like the big humane societies, I would say like Arizona Humane, San Diego Humane, San Francisco's SPCA, they all have these Atlanta Humane, all have low income veterinary clinic in the South, in Atlanta. I know there's a really awesome chain. I don't know if they're a chain or not, but they're a veterinary clinic called um, Planned Pethood. And they, <laughs> they offer low income veterinary services. If you call your local animal rescue or animal shelter, they will tell you, they will know where these low cost veterinary centers are. And, you know, it, there's no reason why your pet shouldn't have the medical care it needs. And in fact, we offer every summer before COVID, we would have events in public parks in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is our sister city. And anybody who had a pet could come and they would get free wellness shots. So their rabies, all of that would be free. And then they could get a free checkup by their vet. And if they weren't spayed or neutered, they could make an appointment. And if they didn't have transportation, we would pick up the pet and get it spayed or neutered and deliver it back to the owner. That's so fantastic. So basically, you could even be in a really small town and you can call up your humane society and they'll point you in the right direction. You might be driving a little bit for yeah. some vet care, but I mean, pets, pets are pretty much family. So it's, exactly. <laughs> if, it mean, if it means, you know, if it means having to drive a little ways, I'm sure, you know, it's not a big deal for some people. So yeah. uh, that's fantastic. I did not know that. So that's great that you were able to share that. And something else I'm curious too on is I know that here in Santa Barbara, they mentioned that like that before they, especially dogs, because, you know, dogs are more so uh, they can, you know, bite and whatnot. Do you guys have like a special training program or like guidelines before a dog is able to be adopted yeah. at all? Yeah. So we have a shelter behavior team. It's three people. And usually our veterinary technicians do a test first. But if there's any cause or concern, then our um, behavioral staff comes in. And we don't put any dog out on the floor that we think will be a danger to the community. Or if a dog, when I was talking about sending dogs to our rescue partners, if there's a dog that needs more training, sometimes, you know, a lot of times dogs just need more training. If it's 
um, exceptionally jumpy or mouthy, then they'll typically go to a, one of our rescue partners who can work with that dog and spend the time. We have, yeah, with uh, 23,000 animals coming through, it's kind of tight. So that's why we depend on our rescue partners as well to help us with training. But we have our own team as well. And what was nice about COVID, if there is anything good, is we were a lot slower because we weren't bringing in animals from the South. So we could, our behavior team got to spend a lot of time with a lot of different animals and work on a lot of behavior things themselves. So we, we didn't send as many animals to rescue because we were able to do it ourselves. You know, I think that's a great way. It's kind of like, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. And I always love looking at the good stuff and situations. And honestly, that's how this whole idea, this podcast got started was just during COVID, I couldn't volunteer anymore. So I was like, I have to, I want to make a difference. And so, you know, I mean, there is some good stuff that can come out of it when you, when you do that. And I'm going to do this every podcast is I just want to ask, and this is kind of how I got the idea to start it was, I'm going to ask this question. What if you had to narrow down one issue in the foster and rescue community? I know that's a big question, Mm -hmm. but if you could narrow it down to just one core issue, what would you see that as? I think with fostering, I think it's wonderful that because of COVID, everybody wants to help out. And we've had an outpouring of fosters. And it's interesting because fostering, we've put in every single one of our animals into foster, which was almost 400 animals when we had to close our shelter. Um, It's back open now. But for the first time, we discovered that foster to adopt could work at a big shelter like ours. So that was really eye-opening for us. But one thing is animal rescue organizations are always looking for fosters. And it's important to remember that once COVID is over, and everybody goes back to work, the need is still there. And so we just want to remind people like, you know, we know you have some extra time now, but think about it in the future as well. Fostering is so rewarding. And, you know, we're hoping that during this period um, where everybody's home and they are fostering, that they'll remember that and want to keep doing it long after COVID is over. Because that's the number one thing, especially for small rescue groups, because I work a lot with them as well, is that they're always in need of fosters. And the more fosters we have, the more animals that we can rescue. That's amazing. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's great. I thought it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And I'm sure people as well, like once you just get your first dog under your belt or cat too. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's just such a rewarding experience. That really concludes today's interview. Mary, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I learned so much. I'm sure the viewers learned so much. Great speaking with you. You're a wealth of knowledge, and uh, thanks for sharing what you know today. Well, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. All right. Yeah, maybe we'll have you on again someday. Appreciate it. Thank you.